dangerously close. Thank you for listening to My Views Are My Own podcast. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at myviewsaremyown.com or on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast or on Twitter at myviews underscore podcast. My guest today is Reed Galen. Reed Galen, a partner in Resolute Square, is an independent political strategist and co-founder of the Lincoln Project a veteran public affairs and political professional with more than 20 years experience. Galen has spent more than a decade advising Fortune 50, 100, and 1,000 companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communication, procurement, and legislation. Reed has also managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, Texas, and Colorado. Before moving to the private sector, he served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. Galen also worked on both the 2000 and 2004 campaigns of President George W. Bush. Between campaigns, Galen spent a year at the White House and served the Bush administration at both the U.S. Department of Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. That was a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, and most, of, most of those things I had hair for, so yeah. <laughs> uh, man, there are... There's so much going on in the world right now that I want to talk to you about, but sure. anyone that knows me knows I'm not just going to breeze over uh, campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger without <laughs> asking you just a little, uh, you know, I was actually, I was on another podcast uh, as a, a debate podcast, defending Arnold as still as, as the goat greatest um, action star of all time. But and on top of that, you know, such a uh, underestimated politician, you know, uh, uh, I was just thinking, that must have, you know, that was also such a more pleasant and reasonable era in American sure. politics. And I was wondering, if, would you be willing to share just a little bit of what it was like working on that campaign? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was great. He was, you know, it was 2006, so it was a bad year for other Republicans. But as you noted, for, for Arnold, he was never a conventional anything, let alone Republican. He was a great candidate. He was a fascinating person to be around. He was gracious and generous. Um, and just, you know, it's, it was the only time, you know, I mean, unless you worked for Donald Trump, right. When we worked for him, he was the, probably the most famous person in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and so, um, you know, he was a hard worker and we ran, we had, we got to run a great campaign. We raised a gajillion dollars. We ran against a guy who was, you know, in an otherwise normal world, in an otherwise normal state, like probably would have been a contender. But, you know, we raised like 80 million bucks wow. and beat this poor guy by like 17 points. I remember we we were we, we had our election night at the Beverly Hilton uh, and we had this whole war room set up in this big fancy suite. Like so we were going to watch the counties come in, you know, the returns. Polls close at what eight or whatever eight oh one in thirty seconds. The Associated Press calls <laughs> calls the race for us. Wow! And so like we're just like we <laughs> shut down all the laptops. I like, guess like all right, go tell Arnold he gets four more years. Um, is- so it was a, it was a great campaign, but it was a great campaign. You know, it was uh, it was very well run. It was very well managed. You know, when you have it, it's a great kind of campaign because you look back on it about how much fun it was. Um, but also, you know, you had you know, a superstar candidate who could raise a ton of money. Yeah. And so then when I went to work for Senator McCain, um, who was also a superstar candidate in his own right, but 
um, a much different thing. Uh, yeah. Being look, working for George W. Bush in 2000 and 2004, and then Arnold in 2006 were incredible experiences. Um, but like one of a kind, exceptionally run campaigns for their time. Um, yeah. So did not prepare me for the chaos that would be a John McCain campaign. Yeah, uh, I've been hearing, uh, you know, because uh, Sarah Palin's back in the news uh, with the uh, being a, a Trump endorsed candidate and losing. And that's kind of like that's big news that so many of his candidates lost. Uh, but people were saying uh, a lot of people were saying things that that Sarah Palin was kind of like the biggest mistake John McCain really made in that campaign. I don't know if you would agree. Um, well, I, I guess, you know, I wasn't there by then. I, I don't know. Oh pushed on but i think just broadly speaking i it it could be um in the context of what they thought i think they needed was you know some sort of hail mary uh, yeah. against somebody like uh barack obama but remember they they went into labor day and that race tied right effectively yeah. um and it was but then remember we had the financial meltdown and everything else and everything just sort of cascaded out from there um but in retrospect i would venture to say uh that you know that decision um you know, has had long reaching effects um, on the, the Republican Party in particular um, and on the country. But again, she was like, think of her more as like a catalyst, right? Yeah. You know, she didn't get elected. She quit being governor um, pretty shortly thereafter, right? I think she thought that after having been on private planes and the fancy wardrobe and everything else, like going back to, you know, Anchorage and being governor or Juno. Uh, didn't sound like that much fun. So she quit. She did the reality TV bit. Then she wanted back in. And the truth was, even Alaska didn't really want her back. Yeah. Um, so she was a catalyst, I think, to a lot of stuff that you saw um, that was bubbling under the surface of the Republican Party for a long time. Um, and she sort of was like the first to use like a volcano metaphor, right? It was the first sort of, you know, the, like, you know, the first sort of ash that comes up. You yeah. see an earthquake, but you don't really know what to make of it. And then yeah. you saw a little bit more with the Tea Party in 2010. And then maybe we thought everything quieted down again, right? Because you get Mitt Romney as a Republican nominee in 2012. And then all hell breaks loose, right? The, it's Mount St. Helens occurs in the Republican Party. Right? The whole side of the mountain blows off and, and you know, everything in its wake is, is wiped out. Yeah, that's interesting that you would uh, refer to her as a catalyst or like yeah, a... A volcano that's soon to erupt but you don't know what to make of it at first because sure. i've never really thought much about sarah palin even when she was you know even when john mccain was running for president and she was in the news constantly she wasn't much on my mind as uh someone who was going to change the face of how things are and then i've been hearing a lot of people more recently referring to her as kind of a a prototype or a proto maga yeah. like this right. is this is where they, they got the idea for the maga movement is kind of where like Sarah Palin was the first one. Yeah, I mean, if you go back, um, Jeremy Peters, the New York Times, wrote a great book about about this kind of stuff, and that you know when she first ran for, I think it was mayor of Wasilla up in was in Alaska, and then when she was running for governor, um, one of the people that she was running against, um, you know, basically said, you know, I, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but like you know those rubes out in Wasilla, right? Yeah, and that became the whole basis of her campaign, which was you know, run against the elites. These people don't like us. They don't want us to be in charge. They've been in charge for too long. Yeah. And by God, we're not going to take it anymore. And that became, you know, the whole thing. And 
and you know, there's always been a wing of sort of reactionary reactionism, reactionary behavior in the Republican Party uh, is with many conservative things, right? There's a there's, uh, you know, this sort of la- backlash against elites, um, at least recently, anyway, last 25 years. Um, and so, yes, yeah, she she I think first understood that. But again, like Trump, though, she didn't. She understood it instinctually more than she understood it intellectually, if that makes sense. It wasn't like she sat down at her dinner table one night and said, okay, well, this is what this guy said about me. He's the son of a governor or a senator or something. You know, now let's plot out how we're going to do this. Like she fundamentally understood inside how her folks would react to that because she was one of them, yeah. which is different than Trump, which was, well, Trump's a bigot and a goon, right? So in that regard, but he he's not like he grew up rich right lives in manhattan now lives in palm beach like so he has yeah. very little in common with his most diehard supporters other than a viewpoint on the world right and he understood again instinctually what those people were reacting to in you know 2015 and frankly, frankly even up to this day and and you could you could easily say uh when it comes down to a, a fundamental belief they're right i mean a lot of the people are right uh to be to have the feeling that they're being exploited as working class people uh, or that there are there is a ruling class of elite people that are getting over on them. That's, you know, people can feel yeah. that way. Uh, but yeah, look, I mean, if we're, we're <laughs> if we're not in an oligarchy yet, we're pretty goddamn close. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was talking about this the other day. You know, like Elon Musk, like we have to deal with his happy ass. Why? Because he's the richest man on the planet. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is like a Bond villain. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have you have what two or three cell phone companies. You got two or three cable companies. You know, you have to abide by the uh, the healthcare options that your state provides, right? Because they're all they're all legislatively imposed monopolies. Um, and so, yeah, most of your life, you know, is is controlled by or not controlled by, but most of your most of your life that you do externally to like making yourself dinner. Um, and even that's like you got what two choices in grocery stores because they're all gobbled up. Yeah. So, yeah, we got a big problem. And I mean, what I mean is like we got too much big, if that makes sense. And and and, you know, when. In 2015, 2016, if you listen to a Donald Trump speech, if you let me say this, if you read a Donald Trump speech and you read a Bernie Sanders speech, with the exception of Trump's, you know, outlandish statements about Mexico and the wall and, you know, all the transgressive stuff, the populism stuff was very close. Yeah. Very, very close. There's a group of elites who don't care about you. They're just trying to make themselves rich. They're self-interested. And most people are probably right. You know, you look yeah. at half the things that, that you know, that, that the super wealthy get away with, right? Big companies get away with that if you did as an individual, you'd never get away with, right? You'd spend the rest of the, your life in the clink. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah. And so, like, it's not unusual that we've come to this place. Um, also... You know, the Democratic Party, which for decades was the party of the working class, mostly through its connections to organized labor, really started moving to the coasts. Right. And, you know, not only out, but also up from an economic perspective and, you know, in abandoned, you know, organized labor, um, largely with the exception of public employee unions, teachers and that kind of stuff. Um, And, you know, the 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 average, you know, union guy was probably always more conservative than certainly a Democrat today would be. 
Um, But we're probably culturally conservative. What in 1984 we would have called a Reagan Democrat, right? A blue dog, excuse me. Yeah, blue dog Democrat, a conservative Democrat. Yeah. But Democrats stopped, they stopped being conservative Democrats because they started losing primaries to more, you know, uh, liberal progressive candidates. And before you know it, you know, literally the middle of the country for the most part is hollowed out from a Democratic perspective. And um, that's why now, you know, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, like they're a fight every year because they're 50-50 states. I mean, you know, a couple points here or there, maybe even on the Democratic side of the aisle, but for the most part, those places that were bulwarks of Democratic uh, strength for decades, you know, are now battleground states and places like Texas and Florida and Ohio, right? Florida and Ohio, like if you won Florida and Ohio for a million years, you're going to be president, right? Yeah. Now they're red states. They're high, but they're super Republican states. You're not likely to win those, which means that Democrats have to like have a much narrow, much narrower playing field at a presidential level to to win the presidency. Yeah, and I, I assume a lot of this is the uh, result of the culture war, the you know the taking it from exactly you're saying uh, labor unions like that should be that should be the main thing that you're just as a Democrat you should be talking about. Uh, the power of labor unions. I mean, that should be like, and I think that uh, Bernie is really, you know, seems to be on point with that. But well, I mean, I think it's 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 more than that. I think um, labor unions were the means to an end, which was for the individual worker. A labor union, at its best, would give them agency. You know, more than a living wage, security, health care. The opportunity yeah. to advance economically for their kids to advance economically. And a lot of that got hell has been hollowed out in the last 40 or 45 years. Most yeah. of it. I mean, it's almost, you know, completely gone now. And now you start to see some some organic stuff. Starbucks, Amazon, where these, you know, where folks are going in and organizing, um, you know, without the AFL-CIO or any of the big labor unions. So, um, yeah, labor was a you know, organized labor was, and it still is again with public employee unions is still a heavy, you know, heavily democratic, uh, you know, power base and, and source of, of funds and voters. Um, but the average, you know, working class voter now, you know, I think probably just trying to get along in the world. Um, and I think uh, Republicans, Republicans appeal to a, a, a um, resentment, right? Yes. Um, but not economically. But at this point now, there's a lot of folks who will put resentment over economics. Oh, I, I agree entirely. Anyway, and I, I think I didn't really have a fully formed thought there when I was putting is because we were just discussing Elon Musk and this like the return to the to the robber baron era. Yeah. And yeah. And the fact that we don't have strong labor unions or or, their, or labor unions are non-existent. And so, you know, a guy like him shouldn't be able to do what he's doing. His employees should have some kind of power to be able to push back. Well, I mean, their power is to quit. I mean, that's well, that's the know. problem is like he can go into Twitter, buy Twitter and fire everyone. And that should be the kind of thing that, you know, there should be a union to where, you know, a yeah, tech I mean, union. This, yeah, well, I mean, that's the weird part about the tech community, right? It's this sort of weird libertarianism, yeah. right? Which is, you know, sort of every man for himself. And it typically is every man for himself there. Um but also we've reached, you know, if you go back to like Ayn Rand, right, you know, the Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged and, you know, rational self-interest and all this stuff, which was, but it was also her, her bottom line was like every man for himself. If you're smart enough to go out and get your dollar, go get it. If you're not too bad for you, 
Um, and so what we've seen now is, you know, I think we've sort of reached that end state. Like there's not many more regulations we can get rid of to your point about robber barons. Remember 110 years ago, 115 years ago, right? Teddy Roosevelt was the scourge of big America, big corporate America, right? They, you know, yeah. tr- he was the trust buster. Um, and you know, the last big antitrust case we had in this country was Microsoft. And that was what, 25 years ago. Um, and so, you know, uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's just a lot of big and, and the problem is when you get big, you know, this, this is why you got rid of standard oil, right? Because they could yeah. set the price of everything. It's why, you know, they broke up Ma Bell. Now look, even when they broke up Ma Bell and AT&T, they've all come back together. Right. Um, and there used to be, you know, uh, uh, a governmental role that said like, yeah, capitalism unfettered will almost assuredly lead to economic disparity, significant economic disparity, which I think we're seeing. Um, capitalism, you know, with, with guardrails, right, is still capitalism. It's not socialism. It's not communism. Yeah. Um, it's well-regulated, and there's nothing wrong with that um, unless, of course, everybody, politically, media, financially, uh, big corporate stuff is like, no, I don't, I, I know. Like, we're going to buy our politicians. We're going to buy our legislation. And, you know, now we're going to make sure that only the stuff that we want to have happens, happens. Um, and that's largely, and they've been largely successful at that. They own yeah. the system. It yeah. works for them. It doesn't work for you and me. It works for them. Yeah. And you're saying this, you're, you're hearing this from a guy who, who grew up as a Republican, right? Yeah. Who worked in Republican politics starting when I was 16. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, I think that's the other part too, is like, you know, the, the idea of um, what we don't, what we have now is not capitalism. It's crony capitalism. Yeah. Right. Everybody who can get over on you is able to because the rules are set for them, not for you. What What do you think about Citizens United? Oh, uh, Citizens United. So, you know, the influx of money into politics. Uh, you know, let me say this about money and politics. It doesn't buy you victory. It buys you options on a campaign. The more okay. money you have, the more stuff you can do, the more tv ads you can produce that you can buy the more people you can hire to go door to door the more times you can rent an airplane to fly around someplace whatever it is right Mm -hmm. um the less money you have the less you know you're able to do all those things um but we're reaching i think a point of diminishing returns so like as we're recording this we're about a few days away from the uh senate runoff in georgia right right yeah something like 80 million dollars between election day what three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and, and election day, as we're recording this next week, that's $20 million a week. And it'll probably be over a hundred by the time that's done. Most of it going to spend on broadcast television in Atlanta, Augusta, Dalton, wherever the hell it is, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's cheaper to buy a television station probably there than it is to advertise on one. But the question is, like, how much literal bang for your buck are you getting for every one of those TV ads you bought? And the truth is probably not because it's so oversaturated. People have tuned it out. Yeah. Um, and broadcast television is great. But, like, when's the last time you sat in front of your television, right, watching ABC or CBS or NBC, right, and you sat through all the commercials because you're watching it live, right, and you're not on your phone at the same time. Like, you watch the show when it's on. And then the commercial comes on, you're on your phone, right? So are you even paying attention to what's on the screen in front of you anyway? If you hadn't already recorded it and you can, you know, some people get the whatever Jackrabbit or whatever is skips over the. Or, the, uh, I mean, a, a step beyond that, 
I don't watch any live television at home. Uh, the only time I am ever exposed to traditional cable television the way that I used to see it as a child right, is if I'm in a hotel room <laughs> and if I, if I don't have my right. laptop and I'm in a hotel room and I'm totally. bored and that's the only time and I'll turn on like a Law & Order marathon, you're right. right. And, and every time the commercials come on, I mute it and I fuck with my phone. So right. totally, like, <laughs> this is exactly right. So, I mean, so well, you're a thousand miles from home watching an ad for a race you won't vote in. Yeah. And then what an absurd use of money. Uh, but I guess the reason I did bring it up, though, uh, some of the things you were talking about earlier, I just uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. Th this broadcast television spending, I don't know. I don't know who's behind who's in these think tanks saying, hey, this is still a good use of money. Well, but I mean, just on that front, the truth is, is the reason why it gets spent like that is because um, because the people who spend the money are are incentivized, because if you spend one hundred dollars on television, most people are taking 15 percent off the top. Right. OK, so if for every hundred bucks you're making 15. Right. Well, that's the standard across across the political spectrum. Right. That's the standard commission rate. Unless you've got a special deal, maybe pol maybe presidential campaigns pay less because there's so much money that yeah. they're not going to give somebody 15 percent of a billion dollars. Right. right? Um, but that so the incentives are why, why does it get spent like that? Because the incentives are all fucked up. Yeah. Right. It doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with its effectiveness other than making consultants making sure that the same consultants you know 10 or 20 or 30 of them every year can buy another beach house but to your broader point about citizens united is it was it was a decision that um just basically let the floodgates flow and not only with you know money that you can see right that you have to report every quarter to the fec that says here's who gave you money here's how much here's how you spend it but also to 501c4 which are dark money groups right which is they don't report who contributes to them they only have to contribute i think their top 10 expenditures and even that through it's an irs filing that occurs like even if the election was november of 2022 you probably wouldn't report it till december of 2023 right yeah so it just is so it just created this a wash of money into all of these different organizations dark money groups they call them where it's difficult if not impossible to discern who the hell is doing what and look there are lawyers whose only job in politics in america today is to figure out how to create different groups to to send money from a to b to c to d so that by the time it gets spent on e nobody could figure out that it started at a if that makes yeah. sense oh and, and not and not at all to sound like someone that's uh in the conspiracy realm but <laughs> uh but you know i'd like it like i you know said i I listen to what other people say and I take it and I go like, hmm, is that possible? Could that possibly have happened? And there was a lot of suggestion that uh, the uh, the trucker convoy, the Canadian trucker convoy, uh, where they were sure. uh, kind of mm -hmm. uh, blocking the production or, you know, the transportation of goods into the United States for whatever right. reason. I think it was a lot of it was vaccine supposedly uh, motivated, right. but it was financed. Because those truckers couldn't just sit there and not work for all well, those sure. months. So the question, but but it's you know it's that's the dark money thing. Uh, I'm trying to land on a question here, but do no, you look, think? I mean, yeah, yeah. Look, I think that 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 did happen, and this is this is the one thing you have to understand. And this, the I'd say that the um, Republican slash conservative 
part of of the political world and i hesitate to call it conservative because it's not really that anymore um is very very good at this right and they've been setting up these systems it is a system for like 60 years right to do this stuff they're very sophisticated about it i let's just put it this way they're so sophisticated about it and so good at making sure that the average american doesn't understand it that i worked in republican politics and never really had a sense of how how deep and abiding uh, a part of the conservative movement in this country it is but you know you take like the federalist society which is conservative lawyers right mm-hmm. you know who are um you know you know they call themselves pro-constitution small government um you know you got this guy leonard leo right who's who you know basically handpicked a lot of the conservative supreme court justices you've seen ascend to the bench he just got a one billion dollar contribution from a guy in colorado right one billion dollars think about fox news oann uh, uh right side broadcast network rumble truth social like you you can't swing a dead cat and not hit a conservative you know conservative backed you know think tank front group media outlet or whatever it is relentless it is well resourced it is highly organized right yeah. they have a viewpoint of what they want the world to look like um, and it, it, it's rarely changes. And so is it conspiracy theory? I mean, there's plenty of conspiracy theories out there. Um, I think the thing you're referring to isn't one. I think that to your point, and this was even one of the things that was largely said, which was like, if you're a trucker, how the hell do you have like two weeks to take off to like drive across the country and screw around? Yeah. Right? Well, somebody was paying for it. Yeah. Right now, do, do those truckers know where the money came from? No. And they don't care. Right. They're like, somebody said, Hey, I'll give you a thousand bucks a day to drive across the country. He's like, better than I'm making anyway. So, okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> and not to kick a dead horse, but I mean, no, you know, truckers are notoriously overworked. You know, they're, they have long hours. That's, uh, you know, they don't get enough sleep, all that stuff. So it's just, a, it's a, it's a bizarre career for someone to be suddenly have a f- the entire month free to be a protester. Right. Right. And yeah, and look, and, and my guess is to your point, like, yeah, I mean, you think about this, like without, I mean, you know, you take truckers, right? Um, like without, without the trucking industry and without individual drivers, like the country doesn't work. Yeah. Same with, same with trains, right? With freight trains and all the guys that operate those things without that stuff, like the country literally doesn't move. Yeah. Right. You go to the grocery store, the food you want in there, you go to Best Buy, the gadget you want in there. Right. Yeah. It's in, so they are this sort of, foundational piece of the American economy um, and the lifeblood of the economy from coast to coast that very few people, you know, you see the 18 wheeler on the, on the highway, right? Like you don't really think much about it, right? You don't know what's in it. You don't say, I wonder what he's carrying. Like, you don't (laughs) just like trying not to get run over. Right. right? You see the freight train, you go, kids, look how long the train is, right? You don't think about all the stuff it's hauling from the port of LA to Chicago or wherever the hell it's going. Right. Um, you know, man, just to do a, a little pivot, and this is just because I, I told a lot of my listeners that you would be on the show, and this is kind of the, the direction, you know, everyone knows that, um, you know, you were a co-founder of the Lincoln Project. Sure. You are, you know, in so many ways, Lincoln Project is one of the, you know, spearhead groups that really helped the uh, the public flogging of uh, Donald Trump. And, sure. And and you know what? He's, he's still around, uh, but I think this is the question everyone's really wondering is... Uh, you know, is Trump done? You know, he he doesn't see, you know he doesn't look good, 
He doesn't sound good. Uh, like I said, the public flogging that's ongoing. The January sure. 6th committee is still out here. Right. He's lawsuits in every single direction. Uh, I know that, you know, the MAGA movement is still big. QAnon is still big, but is Trump right. as an individual, is he like when he, when he recently came out and said, he's going to be the president again, is that horseshit? I mean, is he, is, does he have any shot at that? Do you think? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. You do. Look, I mean, this is a guy who, um, starting, you know, his, his niece, Mary, um, Trump wrote a book about him, um, during the 2022, 2020 campaign, excuse me. Um, that's, like was really fascinating um, and a huge help to me to understand the guy we were up against. He's been doing this stuff since he was like five years old, right? Okay. He'd walk into his kindergarten class. He'd do something completely outrageous and everybody just stand there and stare and nobody knew what to do. And he's just doing it 70 years later. And the 95% of the time he gets away with it. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been sued like 4,000 times. So somebody's like, Oh, do you think this is actually going to be the one? And I'm like, if it's the one, it'll be the one. I have yeah. no idea. Um, but to your point, you're, you, you sort of answered the question with the MAGA movement piece, which is the, the voters still belong to him, or enough voters, I should say, still belong to him. Was the rollout bad? It was, you know. Yeah. Um, but does anybody think about it now? You know, the only thing I would say is it gave rise to that very narrow sliver of, oh, look, I'm an independent now, I'm not a Republican anymore, but that very narrow sliver of what I'll call elite Republicans who largely live somewhere between New York and Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. um, that are desperate for him to go away, right? Because he's, they don't, he's tacky? <laughs> yeah, because they don't like him. Yeah. Right, exactly. But they're totally okay with all the other crap, right? right? Either implicitly or explicitly. Um, and so the other part, too, is that he's the king. And until somebody knocks him off, he's still the king. And this is the crazy part of what the Republican Party has become today, which is really this like white Christian nationalist weird, you know, thing is that if Donald Trump, were, let's say, let's say that it's Donald Trump plus eight people running to be the Republican nominee in 2024 and he loses. All right. Good for the country. Good right. for the, an objective in my mind. Good for the country doesn't solve all the problems because God knows who they'll nominate. Donald Trump would spend every moment after he realized he wasn't going to win the nomination, making sure whoever had was never going to be president. Yeah. Because he is very much like, if I can't live in this house, I'll burn it to the ground. I don't care. He's already taken swings. I mean, with that, the Ron de Sanctimonious. Right. What, what the yeah, fuck for, man? It's, it's, it's two years away and he's already like giving this guy nicknames. Well, because I mean, because that's that was him reminding DeSantis, like, you yeah. think you can beat me. Your baby I'm Trump. Here. Yeah. Right. And and, you know, I'll say this is, you know, DeSantis gets a lot of <clears throat> a lot of ink um, from mainstream media, from, again, the sort of what we call the never, never Trumpers. Right. Which is they don't like Trump either, but they're not going to say it out loud because they're too chicken shit. But they yeah. don't like us because we do say it out loud. Right. Um. Oh, he's, you know, DeSantis is normal. He went to Yale. He went to Harvard. He was in the Navy, right? He's everything we want. But he'll also give us all the crap that Trump did. Low taxes on individuals, low taxes on corporate corporations, right? He'll, he, you know, he'll go after the woke stuff. Um, you know, he'll, he'll make sure that there's just enough of the sort of white resentment stuff in there to keep everybody happy, right? So, like, he's not better. He's just different. And he's not even the most dangerous of the bunch, um, because there are other people, Glenn Youngkin and other people out there who I think are smarter than DeSantis and probably better politicians. 
Yeah. And but DeSantis is the golden boy for now. Um, and and this happens a lot, right? Like this, you know, it it happens a lot. It, and so if it is Trump plus eight or nine of these people, first and foremost, they all immediately become the anti-Trump candidate, right? Right. Um, which is very difficult. You know, they're like, oh, well, Trump only needs 30 percent to win. Well, that might be true in these states and caucuses, these primaries and caucuses. But I think he owns 50 percent of the, 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 the party, at least as far as primary voters are concerned. And that's who sure. matters. It's not it's not like the average suburban Republican guy who hates all of it. But like he's not going to vote for a Democrat. These are the dyed in the wool people. Yeah. Right? These are the folks who show up to Iowa at a church in January, right, to caucus, right? This is a very select group of people, and they're going to pull the lever more often than not, or they're going to cast their ballot more often than not for Donald Trump. And if they don't, like I said, great for the country, but we should not underestimate the damage that he will do, not only leading up to those votes, but also in the process of if he loses, he'll say it's all rigged, it's all stolen, it's all corrupt, right? Yeah. These people are no better like the Republican Party is just as corrupt as the Democratic Party. They shouldn't be anywhere near power. He'd rather see Joe Biden in office for a thousand years than any other Republican named Donald Trump ever sit in the Oval Office. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I can. I uh, was just reading this morning too about uh, uh, election officials. Just like how how that's become a dangerous job sure. to do now, which is I don't think it. I mean I don't know if that ever was the case before in the history of this country where it was an unsafe. To be a person that counts votes, to no, like, to no, have look, your, it was to have your family threatened and no, your look, life I threatened. mean, it was it, 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 this. It's a great question, right? Because Doug, it's it, it, those folks. There's tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of them, largely either part-time workers who do this around election season or volunteers. It is tedious, sometimes boring, right? You have to explain to people how to cast their ballot, you know, how to vote their ballot, all this other stuff. But they are the they are the grease that makes the machine go. Right. And most of the people who do that do it because they believe it's their patriotic duty. A lot of them tend to be older. Right. They see this as their the way that they contribute. Right. Um, And then we saw with um, uh, during the January 6th committee, uh, Shay and her mom, Miss Ruby, uh, two African-American women from Atlanta who'd been at the whatever the Mercedes Dome, whatever they used to call the Superdome, whatever the hell they call it in Atlanta, um, you know, where they were counting ballots. And now they 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 single out Shay and her mom, right, as people who were, quote unquote, stealing ballots from Donald Trump. Listen, the fact that they were African-American was first on the list. Right. Right. That was what they they didn't choose the suburban white lady from Buckhead. Right. Um, And then, you know, to hear Shay's story, to hear Miss Ruby's story about Shay's grandmother. Right. She can't take her walk down the street like that is real stuff. And that is insidious. And that is part and parcel of what you see with Trump and all these other people, which is the Republicans, like they didn't say any, like you look back last summer to the, to that testimony, no Republican who wasn't on the committee said, you know, Shay and her mom were doing the the Lord's work. They were doing the true work of democracy and how dare any of this happen. They didn't say anything, right? Because they were perfectly willing to let Trump do all the dirty work for him. Why do you think that, you know, so many Republicans two years ago when, when Trump was, you know, getting leading up to January 6th, didn't say anything because at least half of them want to see if it would work. Right. Yeah. Right. And they didn't want to be on the wrong side because they figured, well, if it works, I'm okay. And if it doesn't work, you know, I'll go out and say, what an idiot. But then what did they do? January 6th happens. People die close to be, you know, close to the government toppling two weeks later. Nah, everything's good. Right. Yeah. And why did they get upset with him? 
Why do they get upset with him for election 2022? Not because of all the things he'd done when he was in office, right? But because they they, they blamed him for costing them votes, which is yeah. power, right? right? That's why they got mad at him, not because. Yeah. And and if, if it had been an overwhelming success for Republicans, they, they will all would have been lifting Trump as much as they could with his 350 pound ass, you know, onto a litter to say the king is back. The king is back. Yeah. Yeah. A fickle, uh, fickle group of, <laughs> of, oh, to say the least, of, of pretty despicable people for sure. And like you were saying, and it, and it wasn't just those two women. I mean, Trump tweeted people by name. Uh, right. That were just private citizens. They're not, not even politicians, just election officials, just people that, that count your votes. That's all they right. do. Uh, right. Some guy in Philadelphia, I can't remember, but I, I believe he was a Republican even. Yeah, well, and, and Brad Raffensperger, who's the secretary of state of Georgia, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he and his wife got death threats. Um, his daughter-in-law, um, who is the the, the the widow of, of Raffensperger's son, right, like was getting death threats, you know, with their baby, right? So here you have, you know, Raffensperger and his wife are getting death threats. Their son has already passed away, which is an unspeakable tragedy. And now their daughter-in-law and grandchild are getting death threats right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it is fundamentally un-American. Um, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no better nature of your angels, right? Um, by going out and threatening somebody because, you know, they decided that they were going to do their job, which is what they did. What do you think about the term stochastic terrorism when it come when it, in applying it in the, into what we're speaking about right now? Do you think that that is a, do you think people are being uh, hyperbolic by saying that, uh, by saying that certain uh, right wing entities, you know, are committing a form of stochastic, uh, stochastic terrorism by encouraging this violence? Um, I don't think the well, I'll say this is that I think they'd want to. I don't think they're smart enough or well organized yet, but that doesn't mean they won't be. But I think we're seeing it individually. Um, yeah. We're seeing it individually at the at the you know mostly black uh, grocery store in Buffalo, New York, um, right. at the Tree of Life Synagogue in uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and other places. Um, just recently, where was the last? I mean, there's so many of them now, Doug. I don't even remember which uh, ones. But the uh, nightclub in Colorado was the most the night, recent. The nightclub, yeah, the nightclub yeah. in Colorado, right? So like this stuff is already occurring. Um, yeah. it's occurring on an individual basis. Um, but we saw, you know, in 2020, and, and again, we should assume that this could happen again in 2024. In fact, we should assume it will happen. Remember that the Proud Boys would go into, especially a place like Portland, Oregon, right, and start fights. Um, right. And the cops yeah. most of the time would be on their side. Yeah. Um, you know, and Antifa became this catch-all for, you know, you know, black hooded yeah. anarchists, you know, Marxists, whatever. Um, you know, and, and the truth is, is that could it happen more often? I mean, the truth is, is look, I mean, you know, Stuart Rhodes, who is the head of the Oath Keepers, is going to go to prison for a long time. Um, yeah. And that's that's Reagan. a that's a big deal. I know. I mean, and yeah. I don't I don't mean to uh, diminish or belittle uh, big steps like that, uh, you know, that. No, we shouldn't, that, because I mean, here's the thing. It's it's you know, and this is where I think like the January 6th stuff, like folks went there and, you know, did the Stuart Rhodes and the Enrico Terrios and some of these other people know what they were going to do? They did because they clearly were coordinating. Um, they were in parking lots and parking garages together and everything else. I yeah. think there were a lot of people who thought they, they were going to go for a march and then suddenly, like, oh, shit, like we're really going to do this. Right? Yeah. Right. Now they're going to go to prison. Hundreds of them are going to go to prison. Um, and, you know, federal prison 
you know, knock on wood, I've never been an inmate. Yeah, nor knock do I on be. wood. Right. But like, it's, I don't think that's a place you really want to spend a day, let alone a month or a year. Yeah. Right. Um, and all of the other things that come along with it. So, but I will say this is that, you know, it's like, this is, this fight is far from over. It's likely to get much uglier before it gets better. Yeah. Um, and I think that the more to your, your, to call back to your earlier question, I think that the more that Trump feels like he is on the verge of losing, I think the more you might see that kind of stuff because he knows that they're there. I mean, remember from the 2020 debate, right? Stand back and stand by. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and that became, you know, for the proud boys that became their, their rallying cry. Um, and, and I think more of those people are out there than we like to think. Um, I hope that a lot of them have come to their senses vis-a-vis violence at least, but uh, you know, that means that doesn't mean I'm not going to worry about it. Um, maybe just uh, look, if we could step into a hypothetical here sure. w- with, with much the same question, but let's say uh, that it's, it's not that Trump is uh, his lost just due to loss of popularity, but let's just say that he, uh, his, his mental or physical health degrades mm-hmm. to a point where he's just off the board just because he's just not well enough to play the game anymore. He's, you know, right. he's, he's mentally not there or he's physically not there. And both those seems things seem possible. He doesn't, they he doesn't seem, look. they seem to be going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'm just, I'm saying he doesn't appear to be in good health as it is. And it could get clearly could get worse within two years. Right. Ha- having said all that hypothetically, uh, but what do you think about things Things like QAnon or groups like the Oath Creepers or sure. Proud Boys, how much momentum will they continue to have without Trump? If it's, he's not, it's a, if he's not really it's a, there, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, what I would say is that what you would see with Trump off, the, regardless of the reason, right? With Trump off the board, I think what you would see would be a splintering of the movement um, as as the next generation, DeSantis, Cruz, T- Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, all these people rush in and try and claim their stake on the movement writ large, but not everyone will get a piece. Um, and so that, that's, that will be the initial reaction. Um, you will see some go you know, even more extreme. You will see, I think, some people um, will sort of wake up, right? right. As if they've, like, they've been in a dream and be like, what have I been doing? And they will come back. Hopefully, they will come back to some level of sanity. Um, yeah. Whether or not that's enough uh, to sort of bring the party back writ large is, I think, too soon to say, and I think too optimistic. I think it has to be beaten electorally repeatedly, probably through 24, 26, even maybe through 28, before um, you know the, the people who were not involved prior to Trump, right, who sort of the zombies that came out of the woods yeah. and realized they had a place at the table, go back into the woods and say, I knew there was a reason I never liked this anyway. Um, so I, I think that what that's what you'd see. You'd see a splintering of the movement and a scramble by these other people and some people we don't even know of yet uh, to try and you know claim the mantle of MAGA or whatever it is. And and I want to be optimistic. And I have, uh, you know, just anecdotally, just for my own life reasons to mm-hmm. feel that way. I, I have uh, family members who voted for Trump. Uh, I don't I'm for I'm very fortunate. I don't have any family members that are QAnon people. They don't, nobody that thinks that, you know, there's aliens and UFOs and shit that are controlling the government. But uh, a lot of what it was was I think some of these people thought that Trump was, like you said, 
there was you know the crossover with Bernie. It was uh, maybe like a break from the tradition. Maybe they felt like it was anti-elitist. Or I think some people just thought he was funny. And right. I think a lot of people are uh, sick of that shit now. It's not funny anymore. And so you're some people are going to... Uh, there's going to be some attrition there from people that just no longer find it funny. And then, like you said, with uh, all these people that are now facing the consequences of January 6th, and so many people... Maybe it's true true remorse. Maybe it's not completely real remorse. But it seems like a lot of people, they said, you know, like you were saying, they got caught up. Maybe they, they thought yeah. they were going to go do a protest or a march. Next thing they knew, they had committed some felonies. So, yeah, look, it's one thing to say, you know, uh, to get on your Facebook group and say, yeah, we should kick their asses. We should go do this. It's right. another thing to like walk out to, you know, uh, a pe- an otherwise peaceful demonstration of people you disagree with and like beat them over the head with a baseball bat. Right. Like yeah. there's a, there is a pretty significant jump there. Yeah. Um. Speaking of the, this actually does, this is something I wanted to ask you because I think, I think you, you really have some insight into this more so than pretty much anyone I ever speak to. So um, while I have you here, I have to ask this. It's just my own personal theory, but sure. I want to know what you think. And uh, it's about Liz Cheney mm-hmm. and, you know, Liz Cheney, she, uh, she took a real risk to, you know, to join the committee, the January 6th committee. And clearly she got backlash, uh, from her constituents, uh, yeah. lost the primary, all that stuff. Uh, but I know that, you know, you've worked with Dick Cheney and I think, you know, you've, that's why I think you might have some inside. Just, it's almost like a political dynasty at this point, the family. Sure. And I was going to say like, uh, and I guess it's just a theory, but my, you know, my theory is that Liz Cheney has a greater scope of uh long-term vision than the average MAGA sycophant. Maybe that's, a colleague of hers at this, at this moment in time. Sure. And yeah, like she lost her seat, but this is maybe just a bump in the road for her political career. I think that I think she's got maybe some bigger plans. I'm just curious what you think about that. Um, I, I you might be right. I'm not sure. I, 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 my guess is, is that, you know, she's, she's got about a month left in office, so she'll probably wrap up, um, you know, her work on the January 6th committee with whatever their final report will be. Uh, she is probably currently writing her valedictory speech. You know, the last speech she'll give from the floor would be my guess. Um, and then I, I see her a little bit like, uh, you know, like in the first Star the the first Star Wars movie, Episode Three. You know, where you know if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's true um, because now she will be able to, she she won't have any trouble raising money for whatever effort she wants to engage in. She'll be able to travel. She has great name ID, um, a lot of notoriety. There are a lot of, you know, you know, people from the Bush Cheney era, the the time that I worked there, you know, when she went down to Dallas to do a fundraiser, they raised her outrageous amounts of money. So she is going to have some backing. You know, the the amount of backing she has within the Republican Party is probably 15 or 20 percent. But she also has a hell of a lot of Democrats that love her. Just, you know, how many I listen, I travel the country and I spent spend a lot of time with Democrats and they're like, I don't agree with anything, but I love her, right? right. At least she right. stood yeah. up and she fought, right? <clears throat> yeah. And so um, I don't think she's any in any hurry um, to decide what that next big move is going to be. You know, people, oh, she's going to run for president. Like, I don't know. I mean, what she said is, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that Donald Trump is never in the Oval Office again. Well, that could be a spectrum of different things, Correct. right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, and remember here that, you know, what we what we tried to do in 2020 against Trump and what 
I think we successfully did then and what I think we were successful about doing in 2022 is like we're old Republicans, right? We know how to talk to Republicans. And so from our perspective, it's shaving off three, four, five, six, seven percent of Republican voters from Trump or from the most the worst Republican to say, look, if I get it, you're, you're a Republican. If you think you can vote for the Democrat, vote for the Democrat. This is a normal person. Right. right. If you can't just stay home, <clears throat> skip the race altogether. And that's yeah. what you saw beat Trump in 2020. Um, and what you saw, uh, you know, was that uh, people either went to Biden or they stayed home. I mean, remember that in a place like Georgia, um, why did Trump lose? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the arithmetic says Biden got more votes. True. But 50,000 Republicans who could have participated in that race for Trump didn't. Right? Yeah. They, they just skipped the race altogether. Um, and so I think that that's an important thing up in Wisconsin, where Governor Tony Evers was just reelected Democrat, got 7% of the Republican vote. Um, you know, we were, we spent a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort in, in Wisconsin, making sure that those Republicans were like, you don't have to do this, right? Tony Evers, former school teacher, right? Like this is, this is not the communist Marxists overlord, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. just a normal guy. <laughs> Um, and I think that we'll have to do that again in 24, which is we don't need every Republican to break off. We just need enough. And right. I think that 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 exists. Um, but it's it's an ongoing thing, which is, you know, it there's a magnetic force to being part of a political party now, which is, you know, OK, I skipped this race because I didn't like Republicans, but I'm not really a Democrat. So I'm going to sort of scoot back to the island for a minute. We have to try and keep those people off the island and say, look, call yourself a Republican if you want. But if this person believes in Trump, believes 2020 was stolen, you know, all this other craziness, you know, believes in Nick Fuentes, believes in Kanye West, all that, like, they're not your people. You, you don't want them, right? And, you know, I always say, look, I can't wait for the time in this country, right, when we can all get our, back to arguing about, like, taxes and the environment, right? right? Yeah, it's, yes. Like, all that stuff. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't wait for that day, oh right? Like, God. great. I'm happy, yeah. to ha I'm happy to debate the finer points of tax policy. Like, nobody wants to listen to it because it's boring, but... I'm happy to do it. That's not where we are right now. We're in a much bigger fight. Yeah. Um, and I, and from, uh, for us, democracy is the umbrella that allows people of, you know, from Liz Cheney to AOC, right, to stand right. under it together and say, in this time, we will work together. Yeah. No, and then uh, I couldn't agree with you more uh, <laughs> with your previous statement just now. And also, like you said, uh, talking about the finer points of tax reform or whatever it may be. You know, these are sometimes also just conversations for people that are very smart with specialized knowledge, you know, like, and that's, that would be fine and nice, for, you know, but like you're saying this, you know, these are extraordinary times. Well, and, you know, I think the other part too, is that, you know, we, we always talk, you know, we always make that joke. I can't wait to get to back to arguing about policy, but really the issue is values, right? I mean, voters, yeah. you know, the values that voters chose from, and look, we only have two choices, and, and I, I spent a lot of time trying to create additional choices, and it's a very difficult job, is when you, you know, when you go to the polling place and you see an R behind a person's name or a D behind a person's name, it's shorthand for a set of values. Yeah. I largely believe in this person's values, so I will agree with them and I will vote for them. Well, if you're, if you're a Republican now and you see that R, right, you have to ask yourself, is that, are these the values I represent or represent me? Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of them, they're not. Now, some people are like, he's the leader of the party. I vote for the Republican no matter what. Look, I mean, I mean, Doug, look, look at how close 2022 was. Like we are a 50, 50 country. There yeah. were some absolute goons out there 
who damn near won, right? So like we, we got over the line, but the fight is far from over. And so like what we're going to do for the next couple of years, aside from many other things, is like convince these Republicans, like when you see that R, it does not represent you. Right. right, right. It does not represent your values, because if your values are decency, you know, love thy neighbor, you know, everything else. Right. Like, look after your community, do your best. Right. Like, what do you want to pass on to your children? Right. Right. Like, I don't want to pass. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm not passing on to my children the values of today's Republican Party, because that's just going to guarantee they're terrible freaking people. And I don't want that. I mean, it's the kind of thing. And, you know, I don't want to look back with rose tinted glasses and, you know, say that things were ever idyllic but there was there was a time you know where it's, there were certain things you if, if you did them that would be the end of it and if you know if you uh it came out that you were a domestic abuser that would be mm-hmm. the end of your campaign should be the end of your campaign and you know that's at the moment that's not the case uh right. but i guess to just kind of circle back just one little bit just to you know uh a little while ago when i asked you do you think trump's still in the game and you said unequivocally, yes, he he's still he's still yeah. a force in this. Do you predict the 2024 presidential election is going to be Biden versus Trump again? Do you think that's what's that was actually what we're looking at as of this moment? Yes. Wow. OK. As of this moment. Yes. I mean, the, the president continues to make I mean, he said in a press conference the other day that, yes, we're going to run. Um, you just not to get too nerdy, but, you know, the Democratic National Committee is reworking the order of their primary elections. They want to put South Carolina first. South Carolina is the place where the president won and ultimately the rest of the field collapsed behind him. Um, so I think he has a special place in his heart. And I think South Carolina for him. Um, Michigan has moved up a place where Biden has a lot of strength. So yeah. I think he's going to run the only t- I mean, I even read this this morning. I mean, the only two things really the only thing that could keep him from running is if Mrs. Biden, Dr. Biden said, you're not going to do this. That yeah. She she would be the only one at this point, probably of 8 billion people on earth. She's the only person who could say, you're not going to do this. And my okay. guess is um, she sees, she sees the landscape. And I, I, I would say this, I haven't heard him say this, but I would venture to say that he has said it to people. I'm the only one who has beaten this guy. And I'm the only one who can beat this guy. And I'm not sure I disagree with him. Okay. Now, do I think it's great for the country that you're going to have, you know, two octogenarians running for president? No. You know, do I wish like, look, I'm a Gen Xer. Do I wish that the baby boomers and the silent generation folks had, you know, decided like to go, you know, spend their retirement playing golf in Florida? I wish they had, but they won't let go. Um, and this will, you know, 2024 probably will be the last battle of that generation. But think about it. That will mean that between 1992 and 20 potentially 2029, right? That generation ran the country for 30 freaking years. Yeah. Right? Wow. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess this, uh, this really segues into a, a big question I really wanted to ask you. And just, I know that this kind of gets more into the realm of, it almost seems like fantasy, uh, <laughs> but it could also be very, very, very real. And that's, uh, best way to put it i don't know is i guess maybe just to say what do you think about the the united states uh shifting from being a, a two-party system to possibly a three-party system maybe four maybe you know even more i don't know uh do you know what do you think about po- possibly the republican party breaking you know going hey 
MAGA half, you get your half and the um listen, I mean, as I'm as I noted, I spent three years trying to figure that out. Right. right? Um, I tried to start a third party <clears throat> and we got we got ballot access, which allows you to actually run candidates in one state, New York, and it's already gone, right? It lasted four years. Yeah. Um the, the Repu- both the Republican and the Democratic parties um make the barriers to new parties very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in most states, like where I live here in Utah, it's actually very easy. Um, but starting a new party is just the first part. Then you've got to have party apparatus. You've got to have candidates. You've got to have money. You've got to have all this other stuff that supports these candidates running for office. Most states, you know, like in California, it's, you know, millions, potentially tens of millions of dollars worth of work, signature gathering, all this other crap, right, to get on the ballot. Some places you can only qualify a new candidate during by running a presidential candidate during a presidential year. In Vermont, you have to get, you have to have, four, there's 14 counties in Vermont. You have to have a, 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 a convention of at least three people in all 14 states gather together and decide that they want to start a new party. Like, that's arcane, right? Yeah. Um, but it's all, it's all a, it's all to make sure that there, no one else can play, right? It's their yeah. field. They set the rules. Um, they control the refs. They are the refs, right? Yeah, right, um, yeah. And so do I think that it's possible? I think it's possible. It might be as possible as it's been in many years um, simply because, um, to your point about the Republican Party, right, there's a, there's a schism there. There is a schism within the Democratic Party between the moderates and the progressives. Um, the difference is in the Democratic Party, the moderates still make up the bulk of the party and the progressives are the noisy wing, whereas yeah. in the Republican Party, I believe the MAGAs make up most of the party and the establishment is the is the sort of rump of it. Um, so I think it could happen, but it's going to take a concerted effort. Um, and listen, I mean, the one thing that a lot of these new party groups do, and I, and I understand why they do it, is they try and be all things to all people. Right. Take a little bit from the left and a little bit from the right. We won't be offensive. Right. Because we want to get as many people in the door as we can. But you don't really stand for anything. Right. You stand for well, we want to do this to give people a new option. All right. But like to what end? I mean, the last major political party to have any success in this country is called the Republican Party. And it was founded in 1854 on one issue. Slavery. Right. Right. That was it. Yeah. That was the only issue about abolition of slavery. 1856. They run a presidential candidate, they lose. 1860, Abraham Lincoln, right? The Whigs go away, right? Split the Whig party between Northern businessmen and Southern slaveholders, and that was it. But there was only one thing they were founded on, right? Like, it was one issue. It wasn't on smaller government or taxes or foreign policy. It was about one issue, and I think it will probably have to be a single-issue party that can bring enough people. Look, you don't need 75% of people of the, in the country for a new party. You need like 40, maybe even 35, 33, really, right, if you were in a three-way race. Um, so could it happen? It could, um, but... I could see uh, potentially, when uh, just trying to think of something that massive or something as, as large as, as a world war. Uh, and I guess, you know, staring us right in the face would be uh, climate crisis, climate refugees, you know... A party uh, founded entirely on just, I, you know, whatever that may encompass, but it could be like uh, we are. It could we be. Are the, 
the uh, I mean, would, just, just off the top yeah, of my I mean, head. It, yeah, it would be preponderance of of young people, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, with with older, you know, financial backers. Um, and it, it might be right. Um, but I, I you know, it, it's it's a great thought experiment because I haven't actually done it. Which is, if it was going to be a one thing party to start, what would it be? So you yeah. gave me homework. I I just can't think of anything anything larger than potential, you know, especially in the southern hemisphere. We're going to have large uh, regions of the planet that are going to become uninhabitable. So this affects us all. It's not it's not an American problem. It's a global problem. So maybe oh, that could, sure. maybe that yeah, could be the and, thing. Yeah, look, it is a global problem. Um, <clears throat> I think the issue is, is that like, you know, carbon dioxide and smog and all the other stuff like they don't, you know, they don't see national and international borders, right? Like, it's yeah. just like, yeah, that stuff doesn't see any of that. So, um, yeah, trying to wrangle together. I mean, look, yeah, I mean, the United States is probably the largest emitter compared to our population. Um, but, you know, try and tell the Chinese to do anything, right? Like, right. You know, yeah. try and tell yeah. the yeah. Indians. Try, try and tell India. Yeah. There's... Right. So, um, especially when, you know, <clears throat> I don't know so much about China at the moment, but India, right? They have a rising middle class who want all the things we've taken for granted. They want air conditioning and TVs and everything else, right? And are we the ones to tell them, no, you can't have it? Yeah. And they're coal dependent. So it's, 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 you know, we, we stood on, on them to become these, uh, these first, you know, first quotation mark, first world countries and right. so forth. And yeah, it is, it's not right to tell them that they can't also, you know, choose to be a developing country. So yeah, but the, it's the, a mess. The, but the, <laughs> but the, fl the flip side of that is, is figuring out how to work together to get them what they need economically, right. For their people while doing things that are less harmful to the environment. And this is where Doug, you get into the thing of like, well, there's going to have to be some horse trading. It's probably going to take longer than we want, right? Like, yeah. I get everybody wants every problem solved today. It's not like, you know, that's not how anything works, right? No, I mean, there's the, literally yeah. no magic wand. And I wish there was, right? I mean, God, I, you know, if I had my three wishes, I'd, I'd solve everything. Um, but that's just not how the world works. And you have to take, you have to take progress and wins where you find them and say, okay, now we're not starting at zero. You know, we're starting at 30. And we're trying to get to 100. Well, that doesn't mean you lost 70. I mean, it means you got 30 you didn't have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, and I, and I do think that most of the folks who are trying to solve serious problems like climate, I think are well-intentioned, right? It's, it's trying to get everybody, you know, in a room together to say, okay, look, we all have the thing we care about most. And, and climate could be one issue, could be any of them. Yeah. But what, are the thing, what is the thing that we can get done now that will get us to the next place? Uh, yeah. and, and a lot of times you can't even agree on that. So, and, and also, you know, climate, it's going to need to be a global community type project. We've got things like, you know, we've got the war in Ukraine, you know, we have, it's going to be really hard to get a United Nations together to get <laughs> the, the things we're discussing, but, you know, actually I, I do want to take this opportunity. Yeah, but I mean, to... think about this, like the Germans shut down all their nuclear power plants because they wanted cheap gas from Russia. Well, how good a goddamn idea was that? You had right. free eternal clean power and you shut it down for somewhat dirty, cheap energy from a very bad person. Yeah. Like how good an idea was that? <laughs> right. I, I'll tell you one thing. I do not have uh, the information or the education available to me to be able to discuss the Ukrainian war with you for, without sounding oh, no, like I, a, listen, with, I don't either. So <laughs> without I mean, sounding we're, like, we're in the same boat there. I could, I could tell you what I read, but I, you know, yeah, I'm, 
I am far from any sort of military strategist other than uh, the Russians are bad people doing horrible things to otherwise brave people who are just trying to live their lives. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I, yes, all I, I, I know what I read, but I know I, I'm able to say this is beyond my scope of uh, knowledge. Yeah, uh, and look, and there are plenty of people out there, um, you know, Tim Snyder, Ann Applebaum, some great writers who know who know and have studied this region of the world for decades and go out and read their stuff either in magazines or their books. And they will they will give you all of the information you need about everything you need to know. I mean, this is this is a conflict that goes back, you know, not nine or ten months, but hundreds of years. Oh, um, Reed, I got to tell you one thing, man. We are getting dangerously close to the lightning round. Uh, all right. I'm I ready. Say, so I end every podcast with a lightning round. It's a series of questions. I ask rapid fire. No sure. time to think you just got reaction. Uh, I did not write this. This is written by co-producer Colleen. I have no idea what I'm going to ask you, Great. Uh, but I can see here. This is a forced choice. So <laughs> you're familiar with uh, would you rather, right? I'm sure. Uh-huh, the, sure the of game. course. Yeah. So I'm sure there's going to be plenty of things on here where you would prefer neither but that's that's just how uh that's how the lightning round works and the uh, lightning round rules are are sacrosanct they're sacred Uh, yeah they are sacred so you got to get rid of one but you okay here we go this or that uh pick one the other has to go mountain dew or sun drop i don't even know what sun drop is so i'll take that oh it's like southern mountain dew okay (laughs) all right uh 2024 election let's just say things go completely different than your uh prediction earlier mm. it comes down to bernie sanders or pete Buttigieg. uh pete you take pete all right i did not expect that okay this thanks colleen she really wanted me to leave you uh liking me i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> uh forgive all student loan debt or defund the police oh student loan debt all right <laughs> First Amendment or Second Amendment? First Amendment. Oh, do I, do I have to get rid of or keep? You only get to keep one. Oh, the First Amendment. Keep the first, yeah. Sick, every day and twice on Sunday. Absolutely. All right, you got to buy Tesla stock or Twitter stock? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll take Tesla stock. At least I can see what they make, even if I don't like it. Okay. Uh, mandatory COVID vaccines for everyone or stimulus checks for everyone? Uh, I guess I'll take stimulus checks. Sure, everybody yeah. has money. I I like if you don't at this point if you don't want to get vaccinated, what the hell am I going to tell you? Yeah, right? I tell you what, man. Also, I was really enjoying those stimulus checks. I really was. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, this one's back to presidential twenty twenty four. This is completely different. Uh, JFK Jr. or Alex Jones. Oh, JFK Jr. and he's been dead twenty five years. Yeah, I would I would pick the imaginary guy as well. All right, and oh my God, this is going to be tough, man. As people are really going to judge you on this. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Yeah, dogs. I got I got two. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> well, I have one, but I have a dog. I have two black labs, <laughs> one old and one puppy. So yes, dogs. Oh, awesome. And I grew up with cats, and I'm allergic to cats, so I don't. Yeah, I lo- listen. I don't got. I don't really care, but dogs a thousand times. Look, I love, I loved, if someone's got a cat and I'm at their house, I'm going to pet the cat. If I'm going to, 
be the steward and you know responsible for an animal it's going to be a dog for sure reed i gotta say thank you so much for taking the time to be on my views around podcast it has been a, a absolute pleasure speaking with you man no listen doug thanks for having me and thanks to everybody out there